your program in front of you, your bulletin as we call it, you may see the, the, the title of the message this morning. Having a conviction matters, but no jail time is required. <laughs> well, that reminds me of when Pastor Tyler was actually a cop, because he was a cop before he was a pastor, which is really kind of interesting, because I think as he was a cop, it was preparation for him to be a pastor. He was a canine cop, and I did a, a ride along with Tyler before he was Pastor Tyler. And he told me during this ride along that his job was to keep people safe and put bad guys in jail. Remember that time? He was to keep people safe and put bad guys in jail. So I've been thinking about that. And I've been thinking it this week about convictions because he put bad guys in jail. And it occurred to me that on a personal note that not only have I been in jail, but I have a conviction. Now, I'd be really too concerned about that, of course. I just want to share that Tyler, um, because he has this background in police work, um, he's done a complete background check. And I, and I think it's okay. Um, because uh, when he did the background check, uh, he found out that my convictions and my jail time passed all scrutiny. And, and so it's safe, I think, for me to be here today before you, even with the jail time and with the conviction. Uh, I don't know if I should confess this or not. But, you see, even though you have a conviction and convictions matter, what's most important is what kind of a conviction do you have? You see, and and by the way, even though I've been in jail a lot, most of it, it was on the other side of jail. It was on the correct side of jail. It was on the jail ministry side. So just in case you were wondering about that. But you might also be wondering about convictions that don't require jail time because I, I and I think we have to go there this morning, and I, I think that in a group this size, you're going to see that there are some people that have convictions with no jail time in this room, and there may even be some people that have convictions with jail time. Because words matter, and their meanings, they, they, they change over time, don't they? I like words, and I, and I see over, over time that, that words change, and words today don't mean the same thing that they meant in the past. So this morning we're going to talk about having a conviction, but not the legal kind. Not the kind that's handed down by a court of law. In fact, we're going to take a look at, at conviction, because I think conviction matters. Conviction matters. And so if we're going to understand what a conviction is and how much it matters, we better define the term and the word. And if you look in your Webster's Dictionary, which I know you don't have in front of you, <laughs> Who goes to church for the Webster's Dictionary anyway? So, the Webster's Dictionary, if you were there today and you opened your Webster's Dictionary, let me tell you what the 2016 Webster's Dictionary says about conviction. A strong persuasion or belief or a state of being convicted. Now, that's all fine and good. Until you look up that same word in the 1957 Webster's Dictionary, which I happen to like. In 1957, Webster's defined conviction this way. A state of being convicted, especially of sin. Can you believe that? 
1957 to 2017, I don't know where sin went, but Webster's took it out. But now if you really want to dive into the word conviction, you can go back to Webster's very first publication, 1928. Now, Noah Webster first came up with a dictionary in English in 1928, and the word conviction, now listen, check this out. In 1928, Webster's says this, the state of being convinced or convicted or convinced by conscience. The act of convincing of sin or sinfulness. I think Webster had it right, right in 1928. A conviction, by conviction, a sinner is brought to repentance, it says in the definition in 1928. How do you like that? How do you like the fact that in 2017, we see that having a conviction has been watered down? The meaning of the word has gotten soft. And yet in 1957, it wasn't soft. And I assure you in 1928, it wasn't soft. So what happened? Because if you're compelled to stand on the definition of a word by its true meaning, I think that there's something that's pretty important. If we're going to understand what God's Word says, we have to understand the terms that God uses and the words that He uses. And I like the older version of the definition. It's more powerful. Because who really uses terms and definitions of words that are 100 years old? Nobody. I don't talk in the old King James English. I find it even challenging to read because I don't talk that way. But I think we have to be really careful about the modern definition of any word that we use. Any word that we use. Howard Hendricks is a professor, a professor at Fuller Seminary. And I understand that he was a professor there for years, like 60 or something. And he said this, a belief is something that you will argue about, but a conviction is something you will die for. So our convictions matter. Because I think our convictions determine our conduct, amen? So based on that, you can get a pretty good idea about somebody's beliefs by what they say, but their convictions by what they do, by what they do. Our convictions matter. They determine our actions. You see, our culture has watered down the meaning of conviction. It's just watered it down. And the crazy thing is, is in the Western society, the church has watered down the word of God also. So be careful. Be careful. Because if you water down the definition of conviction, it leads to compromise. But there's no basis for compromise. Because if we are going to be people of the cross, and if we are going to be in God's word, we have to have conviction. So what does a conviction look like? What does a person... I'm going to pull this over here. I'm tired of walking back and forth. So what does a person of conviction look like? 
Because the world needs people with conviction. Amen? There's something about people that have a strong conviction that we're, I think, attracted to. Because these people with a personal conviction tend to produce real change and maybe even real accomplishment. But sometimes their passion even makes me, I don't know about you, makes me feel small. Like, I could never do that. You know anybody like that? So totally convicted that you go, whoa. I'm attracted to that, but I can never be like that. Don't be careful. You see, because if you say you can't, you can't. But if you say you can, if you say you can, and it's God's will for you, you can. So, don't say you can't. Don't put those limitations on God. God isn't limited. We are, but he is not. So I love watching the, speaking of conviction and personal conviction and and how people demonstrate it and what their actions look like, I love watching the Hawaiian triathlon. Anybody ever watch that? You know what the triathlon is? These crazy people, they go out and they swim for like 2.4 miles, and then they get out of the water and they run to their bicycle, and they get on their bicycle, and they put their helmet and their shoes on, you know, they're still in their swimming stuff, and they don't even take a shower. And they came out of the ocean. But anyway, they get on the bike and they ride 112 miles, and then just for good measure, when they're done with that, they jump off the bike and run a marathon. That's a triathlon. Now, see, these people have personal conviction, don't they? Some of them enter just to finish. Some of them enter because they want to set a personal record. And then there's the elites, and they enter to win. But the one thing that every single person that enters that race has in common, every single one of them, is a conviction. They believe that they are going to be able to achieve what they set out to achieve, and then at great sacrifice, they begin to take action well in advance of the race, sometimes years in preparation. So personal conviction is something everyone can have and needs. We all need a personal conviction, and you absolutely need a conviction to grow spiritually. Amen? God wants personal conviction, not robotic, duty-driven followers. Conviction. Conviction. He wants that conviction so ingrained in us that we are convinced to the core of our being. In our, it's in our bones. It's, it's oozing out of us, this conviction that he wants us to have. You see, he wants us to be fully persuaded, not just obedient. So the question for us today is, are we persuaded? Because that's where conviction comes from. There's this amazing story in Daniel chapter 3 where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know the story, don't you? That's a popular story. I didn't grow up in the church, so I didn't have the Sunday school experience. But for those of you that did, you know well about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're the three young men who show us what conviction looks like. Woo! There's three dudes who are convicted, man. And this story is about that. And God, through his word, gives us this example. 
so that we can be fully persuaded. I mean, what else is the story there for? Come on. The story is there so that we can be persuaded. And then we can act on those convictions. So this real life story has captivated people for centuries. Right? I know. And I promised Ernie I wasn't going to kid him about his age, but it's been <laughs> centuries. And he's known this story for centuries. <laughs> See, the account of these three guys, even today, gives us a powerful example, a very, very powerful example of what it looks like when you are fully persuaded. Because a strong conviction always perceives great action. No conviction, no action, I assure you. So many of us, of course, we know this story. And before we even look at God's word this morning and what he has for us, I think it's important that we pray together. Amen? So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, because your word is truth, God. This morning, Lord, as we look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God, and their convictions, will you show us this morning, God, our own convictions, whatever they may be? Just show us, Lord. Through the power of your spirit, will you just convict us through your word this morning for your purposes? And what you have called us to for our benefit. All people in this room said, Amen. Turn to chapter 3 of Daniel. And we're going to take a look at this story. Nebuchadnezzar was a king of Babylonia, and it was around 600 BC, and he was considered probably the greatest Babylonian king in the entire Babylonian Empire. You see, he conquered Judah, and he destroyed Jerusalem. But the Jews, if you know your history, were a rebellious lot, aren't they? The Jews were a rebellious group of folks, and Nebuchadnezzar got really tired of their rebellion. So he pretty much decided that he was going to destroy the temple and Jerusalem. Kind of concurrent. That's Nebuchadnezzar. So most of the Jews that were there, and you see, they got there was a lot of stuff going on in history. See, there's a lot of conquering that was going on. People came into a, a province or a country and they conquered it, and they conquered the people, and and they exiled people or killed them. And what happened here is that that, that these these Jews. They got exiled to Babylon. And when they got exiled to Babylon, God used Nebuchadnezzar as his instrument, I believe, of judgment. There was judgment on Judah, and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar, he was a bad dude, but he got used. And you can read all about that in Jeremiah 25 if you want to. In fact, in Jeremiah 25, you know, turn there, Jeremiah 25, 6 says, Do not follow other gods or serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. This is going to prove to be pretty darn prophetic here as we read through this story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because Nebuchadnezzar was brutal. Not only to mention that, he was also egotistical and narcissistic. That's where we pick up the story. Daniel 3, verse 1. We'll start reading there. 
King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 90 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So, the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Verse 4, then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they all heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples and nations of men, every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Holy smokes! You see, not much has changed. We've seen that in recent history, haven't us? Do you remember in the Iraq War when they they put this big cable around the statue of Saddam Hussein and they pulled the statue down? I don't know, they're using a tank or some kind of a, 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 an American military vehicle, as I recall, and they pulled the thing down and the people went nuts. They were jumping up and down on this statue that Saddam Hussein, this tyrannical maniac, had set up of himself in the square. And the people went crazy because it represented freedom all of a sudden to them, didn't it? They were ecstatic. And what about today? I don't know, you read the newspaper? Have you seen what's going on in North Korea? Have you seen this guy, Kim Jong-un? The supreme leader of North Korea? You seen this guy, what he does? Sounds like Nebuchadnezzar to me. In fact, there's a statue of his father and grandfather. The supreme leaders of North Korea that preceded him in this family dynasty. And the two men with these, I saw a picture of this week when I was preparing. There's this, it's huge, this statue of these two guys. And the North Koreans, when they come to the square and they get to the place where this statue is, are expected to bow down and worship. Makes me wonder if they were taking cues from Nebuchadnezzar. So King Nebuchadnezzar made quite a big statue of himself, didn't he? Out of gold. Of course, gold wasn't $1,200 an ounce back then. <laughs> but it was 90 feet tall. That's quite a statue. Now, I've taken a little bit of liberty with Scripture because the Scripture doesn't exactly say that the image that was made was of King Nebuchadnezzar himself, but I don't think it's a stretch. What would the image be if it wasn't of him, the narcissist? So King Nebuchadnezzar in his power, he commands all the people. He wants everybody's allegiance, right? And he wants it in the form of worship. And what's the consequence if they don't? 
Come on, we just read it. What's the consequence if they don't? The furnace! Yikes. So the people did it. They bowed down and they worshipped this, this image of gold that was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. Why? Fear of the consequence. Look at verse 8, continuing. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Now, these astrologers were actually Chaldeans. And as you see, these were men that were men of importance in the community. And they were, they were in a very high standing in, in, in Babylonia. And they, they, they were really working at the pleasure of the king. And so these guys were the king's yes-men. You can see it right here in verse 9. Check it out. Verse 9. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Oh, king, live forever. Don't you love it? I wonder how many of them really believe that. <laughs> I, I gotta believe not many. Because if somebody came to me and said, listen, worship me, bow down before me, and 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 if you don't, the furnace is right there. If you don't, you're just going in. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Well, they bowed down, of course, because they were yes men. And so did everybody else. Verse 10. You have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing fire. Now listen what the Chaldeans said to the king. But there are some Jews whom you, you, king, have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention. They pay no attention to you, Cain. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. See, these yes-men go to the king, and they call out these three Hebrews. Three Hebrews that, by the way, were pretty good guys. They were working for the king, doing their job, administrating the affairs of the province. But there were three charges that were brought against them Subsequent to this idol that was being made, and you were commanded to fall down and worship it. And the charges were that one, they paid no attention to the king and his commands, two, they didn't serve the king's gods, and three, they refused to worship the golden statue the king himself had set up. And the penalty for that, for these three Hebrews, was death. Great place to live, huh? But now we're going to get a glimpse into the character and the values and the motivations of these three Hebrews. Verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, of course he was filled with rage. What narcissistic dictator in the world today doesn't have an anger problem? I mean, seriously. You know, they're lunatics. So, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been appointed, remember, by this guy to be administrators over the province. So, verse 13, continuing, these men were brought before the king. 
I wonder what they were thinking. I mean, the furnace was probably on. And they had been summoned by the king. They worked for him. He was their boss. Actually, Daniel was their boss, but indirectly, he was their boss. So these men were brought before the king. Verse 14, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true? I like this part. I can see him saying, hey guys, nice to see you. Hey, good job last week, by the way. Good, glad the coffers are full of money. You guys are doing a good job. By the way, isn't it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? I can almost hear the inflection in his voice like, this couldn't be true, really. I mean, seriously? Because, I mean, who would not do that when you know what the outcome is going to be? Because there's the furnace. So he asked the question. Verse 15. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image of God I made, very good. It's almost like a bait and switch going on here. So he asked the question, and then he baits them. So if you're already doing it, good for you. And then look what he says. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God, Luigi, will be able to rescue you from my hand? So at this point, it's a simple accusation and a question. And the question is, is it true, boys, that you're not, you haven't fallen in line here? Is it true? Hmm. You see, because if it's true, Nebuchadnezzar looks really bad, doesn't he? He looks really bad because these guys were kind of like public officials. They were workers. They had been assigned these duties and these tasks. And like the Chaldeans, they were there. And they had responsible positions, and they were known. They were known in the community. And if they weren't, if they weren't bowing down, Nebuchadnezzar's creds just went in the toilet. Right? They went in the tank. So the king reminds them of the consequences. See it there? And then he threatens them. And what's the implication, by the way, of, of his question? The question at the very end there that says, Then what God will rescue you from my hand if you haven't been dying down and I throw you in the furnace? The implication, then what God? will be able to rescue you from my hand. You see, because now we get to the crux of the matter. The crux of the matter is, is how they responded. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, try to imagine the inflection in their voice of these three Hebrews standing before the king while the furnace is hot. Listen and try to imagine the inflection in their voice. I don't know what it was, but I'll try to mimic it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves in this matter. If we are thrown into the burning furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, 
he'll also deliver us from your hand. But, one of the biggest biblical buts of all time, but, even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you set up. Holy Toledo. Can you see the faith and the confidence and the conviction that these three Hebrews have in the face of a fiery furnace? They knew exactly what the answer was going to be to their response to his question in the furnace. They knew that. And yet, I sense a calm collectiveness about them. Hey, we're not going there, man. What is in? Our God is with us. I don't know about you, you see, but that's the conviction that I want. Because have you ever been in a situation where you said, man, if I was ever in a situation like that, I would do this. Well, oftentimes, that's hogwash. Because everybody in this room, I guess, is has had the experience because we watched somebody do something and we thought, how in the world could they do that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's spiritualize it for just a second. And we see somebody that's this godly person that makes this big mistake and they sin and it's quite public. And they go, oh my gosh, how could they do that? <laughs> Be careful. But not these three. These three were committed. I love that. With conviction. Without hesitation, their response in the heat of the moment, knowing that they were going to go into the furnace, was their absolute conviction of the God of the Bible. It was their confidence in the God who is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. And their faith... What about their faith? Their faith was revealed, wasn't it? By their reliance on the only one that had the power to deliver them. Did they know that God would deliver them from the furnace? Alright, this is a tactile thing. Did they know that God was going to deliver them? Yeses? Put your hand up if you're a yes. Oh, man. Yes? Yeah. No. Ah. See, that's a really good question. And it's a really good question for us, too, isn't it? Because in your life right now, is there something that you're going through? Is there something you're dealing with that you are convinced, like these guys were, that God is with you? That God will rescue you? That God will be with you? That God will protect you? That God will save you? Huh? See, because I think you're both right. I think the yes is they knew that God was going to save them. Did they know how? Nope. Because maybe their salvation would have been he would have let them burn up. Nobody said anything. Maybe their salvation was that God was going to allow them to burn up. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I'll take an amen for that. But you see, it was their convictions that determined their actions. They were so convicted. They were so sure that God is who he says he is that they said, Citizen, I don't care. That's what they said. Jeez. 
might be sitting here just jump up or something. <laughs> See, because I want to know if we believe that. Because if that's your conviction, awesome. If it's not, it could be. See, it could be. See, because if Howard Hendricks, that professor at, 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 at Fuller Seminary, if he's right by saying that a belief is something that you'll argue about, but a conviction is something that you'll die for, match, uh, who's on that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they proved his point. Didn't they? They proved his point. Their belief in the God of all creation so powerful, that compromise wasn't even in their vocabulary. They never gave it a second thought. They casually just told Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to bow down to the idol. We're not. Without a conviction and courage, we'll most likely just stay right where we're going. I gotta believe that this was not a great, comfortable place to be for these guys. Because... They were the first. They were the first. See, nobody had, there was no threat for it. Everybody else had bowed down already. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. But these guys were the first to say no. That's encouraging to me. I want to say no. But sometimes I don't. See, courage means you got to get out of the boat. <laughs> we know that story too, don't we? So if you're going through something right now, man, that if it requires courage on your part, if it requires courage that you don't have right now, well, whatever it is that you know is right that you need to do, just go ahead and do it and do it scared. If you don't have the courage, just go ahead and do it anyway. Just do it. Just do it. Josh McDowell has this quote about conviction that I absolutely love. Listen, having convictions can be defined as being so thoroughly convinced that Christ and his word are both objectively true and relationally meaningful that you act on your beliefs regardless of the circumstances. Don't you want to be like that? Don't you want to just say, I'm not going to say what I was just thinking. Don't you want to just say, forget it. I'm just going to do it. It doesn't. What are they going to do to me? What, throw me in the furnace? But we're afraid of the furnace. We get all caught up in those fears that we have. And so we're, we're fearful. Even when Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, 28, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but, cannot, but they cannot kill the soul. He said, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's Matthew 10, 28. Did you hear that? Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This, of course, is very perplexing for those that would advocate that there is no hell. But they say that they're followers of Jesus. Now, how in the world are you going to follow Jesus when, he's, when he makes a comment like that? How is that possible? It's not. You see, because even if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to suffer a horrible, painful death in a burning 
oven, they refused to abandon God to worship an idol. What's an idol? It doesn't have to be a statue. Think about that. Have you considered this level of commitment? Look at it again. They're willing to die a horrific death. And it didn't seem to concern them based on their level of conviction. Scripture goes on to tell us that Nebuchadnezzar was, again, furious. And so he was going to put them in the furnace. But he was so mad, he decided to crank it up seven times harder than normal. This man was torqued. He cranked up the furnace. This is how they did it in the days. They didn't go to the, 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 the thermostat thingy. You know, they had billows. I, there probably an army of guys down there firing this thing up. Man, I'm telling you what, this fire was ripping hot. It would have killed them without seven times more heat. But he was torqued. So what happened was, Nebuchadnezzar, and we'll paraphrase, Nebuchadnezzar ordered his servants, actually soldiers, to take these three Hebrews and throw them in the furnace. Because he was going to do what he said he was going to do. And they willingly went. Three strong, no, we don't know how many. There were three Hebrew boys, but there was an army. And these guys went up to throw them in the furnace. And the fire was so hot that the guys that went to throw them in the furnace died. The heat overtook them. They died. And then the three Hebrews went in. But then a crazy thing happens, you see, because Nebuchadnezzar is standing there, and they're in the furnace, and what happens next? He's looking in the furnace. Sure, he's curious. He's never done this before. So he looks in there, and there's not three, but there's four. There's four people walking around in this furnace seven times hotter than would kill any of us in a second. And there's four walking around in there. And he, 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 he looks to his boys over there, and he says, hey, didn't we just throw three in there? Don't you see four? Yeah, we see four. That's what they said. And so in seeing four, Nebuchadnezzar is freaked out. Because the four are there, and they are unbound, it says, and untied. You see, because in verse 19, we see, and you need to understand this clearly, that Nebuchadnezzar, not only was he furious, but then he ordered them to be thrown into the furnace... But at first they were tied up. So these men, verse 21, were wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Now, don't miss in Scripture when you're told something twice or three times. This portion of scripture says that these men, Shadrach, they were bound, you see, they were tied up. Why did they tie them up? They had the soldiers that were big, brutus guys, and they took them up there to throw them in. But even though they died because of the heat, they were bound. And that's what I want you to think about. Because who was the fourth person that was in the fire, that was walking around, and King Nebuchadnezzar saw them, and they were unharmed and unbound? Who was it? 
theologically, some of us think that that was a Christophany, that it was an appearance of Jesus Christ in that furnace. Others think perhaps it was an angel of the Lord. Now, we don't know for sure. If you're curious, I fall on the side of the Christophany. But Nebuchadnezzar is freaked out nonetheless because these men are now untied. They are unbound, he says. So freaked out is he, he says, at the opening of the furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Now, I don't know about you, but I serve a God of miracles. And this God of miracles took these three men that were nothing more than fully committed, all in, after being bound by an evil, evil man and system and thrown into the furnace. And somehow Jesus met them in there 600 B.C. and he, he, he rescued them. He saved them. There, there was, no, there was not, not a singed hair on their head. There were, their clothes were not burned. They didn't even smell like smoke or fire according to the word of God. Are you kidding me? That's radical. That's radical. It's a radical story of 100% conviction and the desire to act on those convictions. You see, because a great conviction always precedes great action, it will happen every single time. What's your conviction? Because the Chaldeans had every intent of eliminating these three Hebrews because they were troublemakers. And it backfired. It totally backfired. Because God was with them. Because God is good. And all the time. And this is proof. So by way of application from this crazy, radical story of commitment and conviction by these three Hebrew boys, what do we do with that? It's dramatic. You see, because if we walk out of this church on another absolutely beautiful Sunday and think, well, that was nice. <laughs> I'm so encouraged now. God saved them in the fire. What's wrong with you? <laughs> or do we walk out of here, or even before we walk out of here, do we just sue, do we just seek God for this kind of conviction? Because it's not just an inspiring Bible story. These were real people in a real situation who had to make a real decision based on a real God and what they believed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were tied up. They were bound and then they were thrown into the furnace because of the conviction that they had. Now I know some of us walked through the doors this morning bound up just like them. There's absolutely a question in a group this size. There are people in this room that need to be unbound with something. Maybe you feel like you're about to be thrown into the fire. Maybe you're going through something right now that you're right on the precipice. Maybe you're right on the edge of being thrown into the fire. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in the fire. But it's Sunday. I wore my good shoes. 
Maybe what we're bound up by. And maybe we're walking on eggshells around friends and family and church because we're so concerned about what other people think. Or we're afraid that we might do something that might be considered wrong. We might make a mistake. We might step on somebody's toes. Maybe you're in bondage today in this place because of something that's relational. Relationships matter, don't they? Or maybe, by way of confession like me, maybe what happens sometimes is you just bury yourself in your work hoping things are just going to get better, but they never do. They never do. You can't do it on your own. Perhaps you're bound up by your appearance. Perhaps it's your identity. Perhaps it's your... It's your Maybe you're bound up because you think you're not successful. By whose view? You see. Because if you bought into a worldview, that leaves very little room for who you are in Christ. And maybe you're bound up here this morning because of what you believe doesn't translate into how you live. Maybe you think you don't measure up. Maybe you're here this morning struggling with the lies of some pain that somebody's caused you in your past. Maybe it's the pain that somebody told you something that isn't true. Maybe it's the pain of something that somebody said to you that is a lie. Or some horrific physical or emotional or sexual abuse that you've been through somehow or sometime in your life. Maybe that's been the driver for you for a long time. And perhaps... You're all tied up and you're all bound up because you sit here this morning without the conviction that the Word of God is absolutely true. God breathed, inerrant, and totally sufficient for every, every single component of your life. Let me assure you it is. We all come here, every single one of us this morning, imperfect. Amen? All right. Embrace that. We are imperfect people redeemed. Thank you, Jesus. Imperfect people indeed. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were bound up physically by an evil king, and they were thrown into a fire because they simply would not compromise their convictions. They were simply alive through knowing full well that spiritual death comes one compromise at a time, and they weren't willing to compromise. So this morning, if you're not thoroughly convinced, that Christ and his word are both objectively true and relationally meaningful, and that you can just simply act on that belief, regardless of the, the consequences in your life. If, 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 if that's not your conviction this morning, I invite you right now. Serious is our attack. Right now, if you don't have the conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord, right now, pray. Pray for a conviction. I don't care if you get on your knees. I don't care if you raise your hands. I don't care if you just sit quietly still like the song we sang earlier. Whatever it is, go before the Lord right now. The God of all creation, Jesus Christ is Lord. And just ask Him for a conviction to set you free, to take the chains of that bondage that each one of us in some way or another is in. Because we don't have the courage to act on what we believe. 
Not only will the Lord take it from you, he'll give you everything you need. Everything. <clears throat> Ask for the conviction. Because conviction matters. Jesus is Lord. You matter to him. You matter to him. And he simply wants to set us free. Amen. Lord Jesus, I pray God this morning right now that for those of us, perhaps, God, that are living in some form of bondage, whether it's something from our past, God, whether it is something in our, in, our, in, our, in our current life situation, whatever it is, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in right now, God, I pray. I pray, Lord, that through the power of your Spirit, God, that you would just ascend, and Lord, that everybody in this room would just give it up. Lord, that we would give it up because you promised to take it. You promised, God, that you would take our burdens. And so, Lord, we want to give them to you. Some will give them all now. Others, it will be a process. But, God, you have promised to take them. And so we want to do that this morning. Lord, we want to be free. And we want to be spiritually unbound. Like those three Hebrews in the fire, God. Spiritually unbound, God, so that we can just live our life in Christ and free. Amen. Each Sunday, we have the privilege and the opportunity to uh, take communion together. And uh, in light of the message, I hope you'll understand that, that when we take communion, it's not just ritual, and it's not just routine, and it's not just something we throw on to the end of the service just because, hey, that's kind of a cool thing to do. What, what you need to understand is when we take communion together, it is based on conviction. Bill just taught us that, that our convictions are reflected in our actions. And so when we pass the trays around, if it's your conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, then in response to that conviction, you take the cups. If that's not your conviction, you don't need to take the cup just because everyone else is doing it and, and you think it's something that church people do. No, this is a very personal application, especially in light of today's message, communion is an opportunity to proclaim a conviction. A conviction. Now the challenging part about Bill's message is that there necessarily aren't guns pointed at us and secret police waiting to arrest us for having gathered here. See, in other parts of the world today, this conviction might cost you something. Having chosen to walk through the doors today might cost you your family, your job, your very life. And so your convictions would have been tested to even show up. That's the challenge of living in the comfortable United States when it comes to living our convictions. What does it really cost us? What does it really cost us? And, 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 and so when we pass 
the cups around as we're about to. Take the cup if it's your conviction. And if it's not your conviction, as Bill said, we pray that it would one day be. You're still welcome here. We love you because Jesus loves you. But we would encourage you to be true to your conviction. Because we're just being true to ours. That's all we are here. If you come and you want to know what Ohio Valley Christian Fellowship is all about, it's our convictions. We love God. We love each other. This is our conviction. It's the truth. And it's kind of that simple. So we're gonna we're gonna pass the cups around. If it's your conviction that the cups symbolically represent Jesus' shed blood and broken body, then take it, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll share communion together as redeemed members of the body of Christ, saved by grace through faith. That's the significance of communion. That's why we add this on. That's why we do this every week. It is not to be cool and it is not to be different. It is to give you an opportunity every Sunday to proclaim your conviction. It is your opportunity to proclaim, even in the privacy of this, but to proclaim to this valley and to the world, I'm holding the cups because this is my conviction. That's what we do this for. That's why we do this. Because it matters. It matters. Lord, as we prepare for communion, may it be a response of our conviction that Jesus Christ was crucified, died, was buried, and rose from the dead. May it be a reflection of our conviction that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone for our salvation. We thank you that weekly when we partake in communion, it is a tangible opportunity to proclaim a conviction of where we stand with Jesus. And so we do that this morning. As the cups are distributed, we take this time to hold them. To reflect not just on our conviction about Jesus, but to reflect on how this conviction will play out in our life when we leave here. Perhaps there are some that have to make real life decisions with real life consequences because of their conviction of who Jesus is. So that we'll take this communion and have this time of reflection and prayer, Lord, in your name. Amen. We'll distribute the trays. There'll be two cups. They'll be stacked. Uh, again, if it's your conviction uh, about who, who Jesus is, you can take the two cups. And once everyone's been served, we'll take a moment. First Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we hold these cups and suddenly conviction became real. 
We hold the cups because of our conviction about Jesus and who he is and what he has done. So we take this communion in remembrance of you, Jesus, thankful for your grace, thankful for your love, thankful that uh, you'll never leave us nor forsake us. And wherever we go, whatever fiery furnace we'll face because of our convictions as we leave here, there will always be you with us. In the heat of the moment, you will always be with us. Thank you. We eat and drink in your name. Amen. Just a word of encouragement before we leave. I invite you again next, next door to, to celebrate the birthdays. And, and as the country celebrates independence, here's a word of encouragement. When you settle your convictions... And as someone challenged me 20 years ago as an early believer, when you drive the stake in the ground, when you have your convictions about Jesus, you are free. Amen. The independence follows. Amen. Believe it or not, the conviction about who Jesus is, driving the stake in the ground, being all in, sets you free. Amen. Sets you free. Amen? Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Father, as we celebrate our country's independence in a couple of days, we leave here celebrating who we are in Christ because of our convictions about who Jesus Christ is. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.